Good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast and the class this morning is sponsored in loving memory of Eva Rishti, Lilu Nishmat, Hanabak, Victoria, by our cousin Ralph Patesh, and also by Shilomo Suisa in honor of Jonathan Mavashev. Thank you very much. Rabotai, there's a, a, a fascinating chain of events that happens which leads to the, sto- the brothers coming to their father and telling them, you're not going to believe it, Dad. You will not believe what's going on. We found Yosef. And he's the ruler of all of Egypt. And what does it say? What is Yaakov's response? His heart didn't allow him to believe it. He pushed it away, pushed away the news. And uh, he couldn't believe that this is what was going on. Now, I always had this, this question on the Pasuk. You know, they say that a person, you believe what you want to believe. Is there anything that Yaakov wanted to believe more than the fact that Yosef was alive? No, right? Not only that, I want to add to this. In fact, we know that the, the Gemara tells us that there's a gizera, there's a blessing from God that when a person loses someone, that it should be forgotten from the heart. In order that a person should be able to move on when someone dies, then HaKadosh Baruch has a, there's a blessing called the blessing of shikha, forgetfulness. That you're allowed, that you're able to move on in life because you could slowly, slowly forget them. Yaakov realized that all this time he had not been able to forget Yosef. So suddenly they come and they say, Yosef is alive. Why had you not been able to forget him? Because he was alive. It should have made all the pieces of the puzzle fit together and Yaakov should have believed them. Why did he not believe them even after all this time? And then they say to them, they say the Pasuk says, they tell him, they told him all the divrei Yosef, vayar et ha-galot. And he saw the carriages, the carriages reminded him of the word eg, uh, eg, agalot, egla. Egla rufa was the last thing they learned. Therefore, Yosef must be sending him a sign. Ruach Yaakov and, the fa- and the spirit of Yaakov, their father, was brought back to life. So what was it? Now, everyone who may have learned about this before will say, you know what, he remembered the last thing he learned. That proved it to him that it wasn't. He didn't really want to believe until that point. But again, it doesn't make sense to me because bottom line, there's nothing that he wanted more. And the answer, I think, Rabotai, is not that he did not believe that Yosef was alive. does not mean that he did not believe them that his son Yosef was alive. The Magid, Midubna, gives an amazing example to understand this. You had a guy whose son started reading all sorts of books when he was in, uh, in, in yeshiva. And slowly but surely, these ideas that he was reading about, they penetrated his, uh, his head. And he says to his father, you know, I want to leave the yeshiva. I want to go to another place. I want to study theology. I want to do... Th-. And his father says to him, listen, you're going to start studying in the big city, in Berlin, wherever you're going to go. You, you're going to lose everything. All the, you know, the simanim of a Jew, you're not going to be able to focus on the mitzvot. You're going to lose the way that you spent and I spent so much time inculcating into you. And the boy promises his father, no, dad, you don't know, I'm very strong. This is only going to make me stronger. The father's fighting with him back and forth until finally the son basically says to his father, look, whether like it or not, I'm going. The father's very afraid. He's praying. The kid goes and slowly but surely, what happens uh, as his father suspected? Uh, slowly but surely, he's weaned from the ways of Torah. Slowly but surely, he gets more and more connected with the non-Jewish people that he's in contact with and these ideas that he's been learning about, suggesting, you know, creating and planting doubt in God and in religion in his heart. And slowly and slowly and slowly, 
eventually the guy is completely out of the picture. By the time Pesach comes, he realizes he's going to have to go home to his father. So he says to himself, what's going to be? I'm going to walk into my dad's uh, study. He's going to take one look at me without my, without my beard, without my, you know, my, my peota shaved. He, he kind of went to completely clean, shaved his whole head. He says, you know what? I can't do this to him. Uh, he starts a month before, a month and a half before he starts growing his hair. He grows his beard back. He has his peot. He comes home to his father. He walks in the father's overjoyed. The next year, same thing, Pesach. The guy, the whole year does, you know, he, he's living his life exactly like a goy, like, a, uh, uh, like someone uh, on the street. And, and before Pesach, again, he grows his beard. Year after year, this is happening. Rabotai, one, one year, the, uh, the son actually, he, he can't keep up the charade in Berlin anymore. And he meets this nice non-Jewish girl and he marries her. And this is his house. And this is his life. Somehow the father back home, I don't know, he's connected. He can feel that there's something wrong. Has that ever happened to you? When you could feel that something's wrong somewhere else, someone's not well, something's wrong, something's a problem. And he decides, you know, I can't wait even one day. Even though I know my son is supposed to come to me to Pesach. I'm a, he gets on a train and two months, three months before Pesach, he pulls up into the city in Berlin. He turns up at the door and he knocks on the door. Who turns up at? There's a, a, a non-Jewish woman wearing a cross. And he says, he's sure that this must be a cleaning lady. He says, where's, uh, where's, where's my son? And she says, what do, you, what do you mean? Oh, are you, are, you, are you David's father? She's trying to give him a hug. He's like running away. Son comes to the door. Now he sees him for the first time. You know, lost his beard. Lost his, uh, his, his hair is shaved. He looks, no kippah. There's no mezuzah on the door. The father on the spot, he faints. Rabotai, Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, he was terrified. Not that Yosef wasn't alive, but that Yosef wasn't Yosef. They came and they said, Od Yosef, hi. Not Od Yosef, hi, Yosef is still alive. But the Yosef that you remember, he's still alive. Egypt has not ruled over him. It has not dictated to him what he should be. But rather, he ruled over Egypt. He's the one who's deciding what he should look like, what he should be like. And you know what? Even after they told him, it called Devrei Yosef, all the things of Yosef, they even described him, that he has Hatimat Zakan, he's got his beard still. Like the Gemara says, the that's why they didn't recognize him. Ya- Yaakov didn't believe it. There was nothing that they could say which would convince him that Yosef actually was still the same Yosef that he remembered, that he lost. And then he sees the Agalot. And he starts to cry. He says, what? He's not coming to visit me. He wants me to come visit him. It's very easy to put on a sketch, to put on a mask, to come home for a short amount of time, to spend Pesach with the in-laws and, make, and fool them. But when you come onto his territory and his turf and you see his wife and his house and the way he lives and his friends, it would be impossible for Yosef to hide that there had been a, a, a cataclysmic shift in who he was. Yaakov sees the Agalot and he says he wants me to come visit him. He's not going to come visit me. It must be that Yosef is the same Yosef, the one that I sent out to the land, uh, that, that, excuse me, that got taken from me and got sent down to the land of Egypt. 
Rabotai, one of the most beautiful things uh, of, of living in a makom Torah, in a special place of Torah, is that the Torah, the Siviva, the, uh, the surrounding areas, it helps us, it encourages us, it helps us be, you know, and time gone by, you know, one of the, the de- devastating elements of living in Galut was that they would take all the Jewish people and they would stick them in a ghetto. And they would lock them in and this is where they had to live. And that's a terrible thing, wasn't it? It's a very bad thing that that's the situation. However, Rabotai, it also carried within it a hidden blessing. It allowed us to be amongst other Jewish people, our values, our, our ways. We were kind of stuck in this thing, which was a terrible thing from one side, but actually incredibly good for the, re- the retention of our identity and our shmirat mitzvot. And suddenly, we come to a place, a country like America, Baruch Hashem, we could live anywhere, we could be anywhere. But now there's an opportunity sometimes for a person to not be in those surroundings and to be influenced by the, the winds of change as we march down to Gorky Park. We are now living in Egypt, in America, in, uh, in South America, wherever we want to be. And the challenge is to be able to not only go back and visit our father when we go to Israel and we're so inspired and we pray at the Kotel and we look like his children from days gone by as we pray and we pour our hearts out in his home. And we're happy to go, to, to go visit God. But are we as happy to invite God to visit us in our turf, on our home, to bring him into our house and to let him see our friends and the way that we live? When we're ready and willing to invite God into our life on that level and we're confident enough that he'll be happy, then we'll be holding in the most beautiful of places. Rabotai, may God bless us always to be able to be the spitting image of the great Sadiqim of years gone past. Those Sadiqim that live within each and every one of us. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.